You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Welcome to the Dressage Today podcast, where you can find us talking about anything and everything dressage-related. Our conversations span the world of dressage, from leading riders to local-level dressage heroes. We're talking training advice, showing tips, and sharing stories to inspire your own dressage journey. So tune in, then tack up. Hi everyone, this is Julia Boutenhaus. I'm the co-host of the Practical Horseman podcast. I'm stepping in for Aviva and Stephanie this week because I had the pleasure of attending the 2023 U.S. Dressage Festival of Champions, where I had the opportunity to speak with the winner of the new Shul Yousef Grand Prix National Championship, Cody Harrison. Cody sat down to chat with me after winning both the Grand Prix and the Grand Prix Special aboard her 16-year-old Danish warmblood gelding, Katholtz Bosco. Just 27 years old, this young star then went on to place third in the Grand Prix Freestyle, effectively securing the title of 2023 National Champion. Cody and Bosco began their partnership in 2015 and have made their way from young riders to U25 and finally the Senior Grand Prix all under the tutelage of Olympian Lars Peterson. Cody told me that she feels lucky to have a trainer like Lars because he didn't want her to buy a maid horse and would not make a horse for her. Instead, he taught her how to create a Grand Prix horse. That hard work paid off when in 2018, Cody and Bosco won the Yousef Young Adult Brentina Cup Dressage National Championship. And now, five years later, They were crowned national champions at the senior Grand Prix level, and Cody has her sight set on a spot on the U.S. team for the 2023 Pan American Games in Santiago, Chile, this October. Before diving into our conversation, I'd like to thank the sponsor of this week's episode, Cosequin, and share their message. Cosequin ASU joint and hoof pellets contain quality ingredients to support joint and hoof health and leave out the fillers, molasses, and alfalfa, all while delivering the taste that horses love. The colors of our ingredients shine through for a difference you can see. Visit CosequinEquine.com to learn more. Now, enjoy the episode with Cody. Okay, so here I have a Cody Harrison. We are at the 2023 Festival of Champions at uh, Chicago Layoplet Equestrian Center. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Yes, of course. So I want to dive in first talking about the show here because this isn't your first time. Back in 2018, you showed here in the Brentina Cup, which you won. And now you're back five years later? Mm-hmm. Yeah, five years later. Um, and you're doing phenomenally in the FEI Grand Prix classes. So how does it feel to be back? Uh, it's exciting. This facility is amazing and you know it's beautiful here the flowers and the atmosphere it's always nice to get out of Wellington and go somewhere different and especially if the weather's a little nicer it's been (laughs) hot this year but um it's also the benefit of being in Wellington is the horses are prepared for the heat and the humidity so they can cope with it and when it's fresher outside it's even better so, and you were on the same horse when you were here in 2018 for the yes. Rentina Cup Bosco. So tell me what the difference is, what you feel in him compared to 2018 and now. Oh man, such a difference. So when we came in 2018, he was very new to the Grand Prix because the U25, the Rentina Cup is a young mm-hmm. rider Grand Prix. So it's all the same movements, just a little bit at a lower degree of difficulty. Um, and he 
I think literally the first time he ever truly pee offed was in the warm up for the Brentina Cup. Oh. He just it clicked that day. Um, I remember the week before coming to the Brentina Cup that I, I didn't want to come. I didn't think we were ready. I felt we were unprepared. Um, and we got here and he surprised me and in a good way. Um, but now he just feels much more secure in his job. He knows the work. Um, it's quite easy for him. So it's nice. We're a little more confident coming into this one. And so you began your partnership in 2015, correct? Yes. And you went over to Denmark where you found him. So yes. Can you tell me about that process? I was looking for a young rider horse. Um, I went over to Denmark with Melissa Taylor, Lars's wife. And we tried, I think, 26 horses in three days. Wow. Uh, and I distinctly remember I got on him. I had not even trotted off yet. And Melissa said, stop smiling or there's no negotiation. Um, <laughs> and I just loved him from the moment I sat on him. Uh, so, yeah, he was the clear. There were really no other horses that were contenders. I never f sat on a horse and felt that immediate connection. Um, so, yeah. And then we got him home and. We went pretty far backwards before we ever went forwards because when you're a young rider, that's what you do. You ruin them before you make them better. <laughs> and he was, what, 11 or so he was at the eight. time? Oh, he was 8 at the time. Okay. Yep. So he's come a really long way. Yeah. Yes. So, and then you mentioned you trained with Lars for five years. Right? I worked for him you, for five you years. You worked for him, yes. with him for five years. How did you get there? How did you get connected with him? I know you went over to find Bosco with his yes. wife. But. So before, I actually worked for them before I went with Melissa. Okay. I had, I had ridden horses since I was four years old, mm -hmm. fell in love with dressage when I was about 12. Um, and then when I was 16, I became a working student for a lady named Donna Wright. And then after that, I went back home, went to college for a little while. And then one of the ladies that I rode for at home had a horse in Wellington. So she was like, you have to come down. You have to come see it. It's amazing there. <laughs> so I went with her and I met this girl named Felicia who she had her horses in training with. Um, and so I worked for Felicia Chandler for about nine months. Mm -hmm. And then from there, I wanted to work for a top rider and really learn the strings of the inner works. I decided I wanted to do this professionally. And so I, emailed a couple top riders in Wellington and Lars got back to me and I was a working student for him when I was came down to Wellington when I was 19 okay I don't know how I just said that timeline anyway <laughs> when I was 19 I started working for Lars um and yeah I, went, I worked for him for about six months and then went to Denmark with Melissa that's when I was looking for a young rider horse and came back and continued to work for him for five years very cool um, and he's your trainer still today? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned just a second ago that you started riding when you were like four years old, yes. right? So can you tell me a little bit about how you got interested in riding to begin with even? So my great uncle and my grandmother had racehorses. They didn't really ride, but they owned them and they had a farm for the retired ones. Um, and there was a couple really safe old ones that they would let me lead. They'd lead me around on them and I fell in love. So. There was a, an eventing farm about 10 minutes from my house where I grew up. And I, they had a policy that you had to be six years old to start taking riding lessons there. Mm. Uh, and my grandma would take me when I was about four and a half or five every week. And I'd knock on this man's door and say, please, can I take <laughs> lessons? And finally, I think right when I turned five, he said, fine, just 
Stop bugging me. (laughs) And that's how it started. So it was such a great place to grow up in. We had so much fun as kids with our ponies. Um, So I took lessons there starting around five and just rode, you know, old horses that were either rescued or... Yeah, schoolies. Yes, exactly. Um, But I was lucky that it was an eventing barn. So we had a whole cross country course. Mm -hmm. They did some dressage shows there. It was called Briar Fox Farm. And when I was nine, I got my first pony and, uh, oh my gosh, I think I rode him three times a day. I'd ride him (laughs) right after school, give him like an hour off, ride him again. Um, and just had so much fun as a kid. I showed, but it was more schooling shows. It was for fun. It wasn't a very serious barn. It wasn't, wasn't a competitive barn as far as like, there weren't other children trying to show. I was definitely the youngest one there. It was a bunch of adult amateurs with a variety of different horses. Um, so I think growing up in a non-pressure horse situation is what made me really fall in love with it. And I never became burnt out. Right. Yeah. That's nice. And so when did you get really competitive? Like when did you realize that's what you wanted to do? So when I was 12, I fell in love with this mare named Ava. Um, a trainer in Texas named Donna Wright had her and she, I was an eventer jumper at the time, or that's what I thought I wanted to do. Um, Donna Wright, who had this horse, was a dressage trainer, and she said, if you buy this horse, you have to come back to me and take lessons because you're not ready for this horse, basically. And so that's where my dressage journey started, is I loved the horse, so I was going to do whatever it was that the horse wanted to do, so I started riding with Donna, um, and there was a dressage trainer at Briar Fox, um, Bonnie Greist and Katie Westfall, and I rode with them a little bit at home, and that's when I kind of fell in love with dressage, competed a little bit. I think I was in training level for, oh my gosh, three years. <laughs> um, took a while to progress, but, and then I did my first young riders at, or I did junior riders at 14 on that, on that mare, Ava, that okay. I bought from Donna. Uh, and that's when I really was like, oh, I, I love this. I want to do this. Okay. Um, so 14. And did you know at like 14, you wanted to do it professionally when you got there? When you got to yes, that age. I think yeah. since I was five, I knew I couldn't imagine having any other job. I was like, I'll just yeah. Work. When people would ask me what you want to do when you grow up, I'm like, well, I'm just gonna work at the barn. Of yeah. course. <laughs> I thought it was such a dumb question, um, and yeah, I guess the answer never changed. And you kind of answered this already, but what has just kept you involved in the sport for so long? Oh, I just love it. it, and it's not even the competing that I love; it's the training. It's I love the young horses, seeing the light bulb moments go off on yeah. them every day. Every day is kind of new and exciting for them. Um, and I just love the process. I think it's so fun to see the differences from, you know, it's hard in the day to day to see it sometimes, but when you can step back and say, "Oh my gosh, a month ago I couldn't even, you know, do a shoulder in, and now it's yeah, you know, it, the progression is sometimes slow, but it's it's there yeah and it's the best moments yes exactly <laughs> and you find this little high and then you chase that for yeah. months and months to get it again um those same moments but it's high highs and low lows but yeah so it's worth horses. it uh-huh. <laughs> so like you said you started with eventing and then you found you know your love for dressage what was it about dressage that made you say this is what i want to do you know i'm not Sure. I think, I think I just, where jumping was more fun. Yeah. 
I loved the technical part of dressage where it was, at least how I grew up, it was just kind of horses jumping. Like there wasn't a lot of technique. It was mm-hmm. just kind of, I think how a lot of people grow up with dressage, it's just a pattern. Yeah. That's what jumping was for me. It was just jumps. But when I was learning dressage, it was, I think the technical part, you know, learning how to sit each trot and how to get every horse, you know, some are so supple one way and so stiff the other. And then the next one you're on is the opposite. And, and learning to figure that out was like a puzzle that I really enjoyed trying to solve. And can you speak on some of the most, like, influential horses in your life? You'd mentioned Ava before, and, of course, you have Bosco now. Yes, Ava was probably the one who, you know, made me fall in love with the sport of dressage. Yeah. Um, my pony, Zipti Duda, I think I owe him <laughs> a lot of credit. He was so naughty. Um, we got him thinking he was nine. He was a little quarter pony. Uh-huh. Um, I got him for Christmas. My family is not a horse family, so they surprised me with him. So they had bought him, I think, two months before I saw him, a month or two. Let him sit in a pasture for a couple months, you know, (laughs) and then surprised him with me on Christmas Day. I was like, oh, my gosh, I love him. And then, of course, the next, when I rode him for the first time at home, he dumped me. He exploded. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And then he continued to dump me about twice a week for a couple years. (laughs) He was very naughty, but... um, he ended up being a great pony. Yeah. But I think he really taught me from a young age just resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was brave. I was a brave kid. Not so much with the jumping, but with, like, difficult horses. Yeah. Um, and that's helped me a lot through my career, you know. Definitely. I think uh, almost all of us have that pony or yes. that horse when we're kids uh-huh. that dumps us, yeah. you know, once a week, twice oh, a week. Gosh, but they yeah. teach us, you know, that resilience and how to get back up and get back on exactly it's very important um so i want to talk a little bit more about competitions so when you are competing do you ever get nerves yes mm-hmm. i do not always um but i was actually really nervous going into the grand prix this week oh yeah uh, i haven't shown him since the five star in april and i gave him you know he's 16 mm-hmm. he knows his job so i decided to give him an easy summer mm-hmm. um just a lot of hacking, keeping them loose, keeping them supple in the body, but not really, you know, grinding out every day and and practicing movements, like none of this. It was all just keeping him fresh, keeping it fun for him, taking Mm -hmm. him out. Um, And so I was hoping that it paid off because you don't know until you go down center line exactly what you're gonna have. Uh, And you can think you do, you can think in the practice work that it's great, but you never know until you go down center line, so. I, I think it I think it worked. I'm really glad I did it. Uh, but yeah, for sure, I get nervous. Um, and like you said, I mean, you really don't know what horse you have that day until uh-huh. you get on center line. So with that in mind, obviously horses are horses. They can be very unpredictable. Yes. Um, so when you're dealing with a day where, you know, your horse is, you know, acting up or mm-hmm. fresh or something like that, how do you deal with overcoming a setback like that? Or if you you know have a big class like this and it doesn't go as well as you wanted it to Mm -hmm. how do you deal with that I think you have to know your horse really well if you have one that's a little more difficult you have to know okay it's a little windy today it's Mm -hmm. a little colder maybe you need to sit on him in the morning early and and get the kinks out and and make sure that he's you know worked through the body and and let that tension just ease Mm -hmm. so that you set yourself up for a better test later on um, and when they are difficult in the ring and it's a, and you have those kind of setbacks, 
I think it's really important to remember that each ride is a new fresh ride. You can't dwell on the one before. Mm-hmm. Um, and you also, same thing, even in the test, you can't dwell on the movement that you just maybe messed up. You mm-hmm. have to be right on to the next one. And, um, you know, it, it's hard. It's, hard. Yeah. it's so emotional and, it, and it's hard to not get stuck in, in the bad moments. But for me, you just have to visualize what you want to happen and and kind of ride what you want not exactly what you have sometimes mm-hmm. yeah and yeah you just can't can't dwell on it yeah is that how um you just mentioned like you visualize is that kind of a routine for you before classes yes. you visualize your test i for a couple days before the test i will not just memorize the test of course you know you think oh i turn right i do extended try i do massage but really closing your eyes and, and riding it and mm-hmm. feeling, oh, I know this part's hard, so I'm going to come into this corner. I'm going to give him a little bit of half halt. I know he's stiff on the left, so I'm going to supple the left rein right before, make sure he's straight off the outside shoulder. Like, really, like, especially when I'm going to sleep, mm-hmm. I will, as I'm trying to sleep, just sit there and really ride the whole test um, and visualize what I need to set up, um, where I need to give a little more gas, where I need to be, you know, a little more careful. Um but I do that a lot. Yeah. And when you're at home, I want to get into your training a little bit. Do you do you teach students at all? Uh-huh. You do? Oh, okay. So um, I can ask you this in two different ways. Um, what is your training philosophy, both for your horses that you're training and also for your students? I think, again, they're all so different. Everybody rides differently and every horse goes differently. So what drives me crazy is hearing the same hearing someone coach the same techniques for every horse. You know, mm-hmm. Everyone has heard inside leg to outside rein. Mm-hmm. And that's not always the case. You have to think the hard rein, Lars always says this, the hard rein is the hard rein and the, the hollow rein is the hollow rein. You ride, you supple the hard rein and you connect the hollow rein. And it's, so if you're going left and you have a really great right rein, you know, a right, correct outside rein, but no inside rein, that's that's not always correct. You have to sometimes counterflex and actually get more inside rein to get them straight to both reins. Right. Um, but anyway, so it's, you know, really trying to break down what works for each rider and what works for each horse. Yeah. I am both lucky and not lucky that I wasn't very talented at this as a kid, especially in dressage. Um, I was on a lunge line lessons for or I did two lunchtime lessons a day for a year oh, with Donna because I just I could not sit the trot I could not get straight in my body I was so stiff and just not very good <laughs> um but because of that I heard a lot of different a lot of people tried to explain to me how to ride in so many different ways mm-hmm. and I'm able to, it kind of they all went into my toolbox like yeah. oh this worked for me or this didn't work for me but it might work for someone else this phrasing or this exercise to try and get your body centered and your hips loose and you know all your joints to hinge and unhinge um so in that way I think I have a lot of tools in my toolbox on how how to explain to other riders how they might be able to get it yeah it's amazing the little things over the years that stick with you and like you said you put it in your toolbox Mm -hmm. I mean I remember I think we all you know we have trainers throughout Mm -hmm. our career riding careers our lifetime so many of them and each one of them could teach something a little bit differently or they could say something just a little bit differently that clicks with you exactly and then I remember um just at the barn I was helping a little girl at my barn recently and 
uh, she was having trouble understanding collection through mm-hmm. the hind end. And actually, in dressage today, we have um, a piece at the end of the magazine in every issue. It's an illustration that is called Solutions. And a trainer basically helps visualize, um, you know, a different training mm-hmm. tool. And one of my favorite ones is imagining the horse's hind end as a boat and the engine of the boat. Yes. Yeah. And and I explained to this girl to imagine the horse's hind end as the engine and it lifts up the front. Uh-huh. And it was just that one thing that she it clicked for her and she was like, oh my gosh, I get it now. Yes. So it's really, like you said, amazing the little things that you take away from trainers or reading or, uh-huh. you know, whatever it may be. Um, and then can you go a little bit into what about when you're training, especially young horses? Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the tools you use to get them to come along in their progress? I think one, you have to mostly take into account that young horses take time to mature. And just because you have a bad day doesn't mean you have to ride harder the next day. Um, for me, I've heard this a couple times from a couple different trainers and I think it's pretty true. A three-year-old, you maybe ride three days a week. A four-year-old, you maybe ride four days a week. And then when they're five, they can start going five days. But, you know, on these young ones, I think just making them secure and confident in their work. Um, And then, of course, for us as dressage riders, forward. Forward is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'd rather not be able to stop when they're young than not be able to go. Mm. So, and keeping it fun for them. You know, I'm not on them every day. They might be, they're doing something every day. They're not just sitting in, you know, their stalls, especially as much time as they can go out, the better. Yeah. Um, but I, they, I learn, I teach them to long line mm-hmm. from a young mm-hmm. age. Um, you can already start a little in hand work when they're three and four. You know, not that they're pee offing, but they learn yeah. to walk halt, walk halt. They don't run over you. You lift a little legs, <laughs> yeah. you know, this kind of thing. But to keep it fun and interesting for them, um, because they also require, you know, mental exercise, like different, you know, going to different environments. It's great to get them out as much as you can, let yeah. them hack. Um, and have their mind mentally stimulated as well mm-hmm. as, you know, keeping their bodies supple. And yeah. that's, of course, also important, making sure that these young horses learn to be soft and supple through their body and relax into their work instead of riding with tension, tension. and force. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's yeah. really, they don't have to move with flying legs at three. Yeah. How would you, that now that you've mentioned it, how would you handle a horse that, say, is not so forward going? So that's actually Bosco. Bosco, oh. as a young rider, I really struggled with him because I could not get him in front of the leg. I mean, he was so sucked back. And I, of course, probably made him this way. Um, because the more you squeeze, the mm-hmm. more they shut down, usually. Especially a horse that's not a hot horse. Yeah. So I had to learn on him how to really... You have to think the less leg... The, the hotter the horse, the more leg you ride yeah. with. The lazier the horse, the less leg. So it's all about a reaction. You know, when your leg comes on, it has to mean something. Mm -hmm. So if you find yourself squeezing to get your transition or like really having to kick a lot, you have to teach them that, you know, really take your leg away and that when it comes on, if they don't react, then you say it a little bit louder. And then when they say, oh, and they jump forward, good boy, every time. Um, But again, it's also a lot about keeping them mentally happy and I took him out. I would do our work in a field sometimes, mm. you know, take him out. Uh, I was at White Fences. Well, when I worked for Lars, he was out in White Fences, which is this big loop in Wellington. 
um, and there's a grass. It's probably two and a half miles around, and there's mm-hmm. like a grass lining all the way around it. And I'd take them and go out there, you know, do like trot sets, canter sets. I actually taught them to pee off and pass- well, I would do my pee off and passage out there because they're a little fresher. It's a little yeah. more fun. And then, you know, whether it's even though it's not in the arena, as soon as they give you a good reaction, they can connect. Like, oh. I did a really good job. It was only three or four steps, but she's so happy. Yeah. And they can connect that to the ring. Yeah. So, you know, it. so a horse that's lazier, um, you can't just kick more. You have to really sometimes be a little bit creative and learn to make sure your aids are smaller mm-hmm. or you have less aids and that they really mean something every time they come on. Yeah, I'm actually, uh, that horse I was telling you about earlier, he's five. He just uh-huh. turned five and he is like Bosco yeah. he he I wouldn't say he's sucked back but he's just not reactive uh-huh. to my leg and I've been working really hard yeah. on teaching him that reactivity so I appreciate these tips because yeah. I can definitely go home and use them for myself too <laughs> um so again with the training when you're home in your ring um I know you just said you gave Bosco a little bit of an easy summer but when you are uh training and you know drilling a little more Mm-hmm. hard um what are some of your favorite exercises like do you ever do you have one exercise set up in your ring that you like to practice a lot i always on every horse as soon as they learn how to go a little bit sideways i always going down alongside i leg yield in half pass out and it's mm-hmm. and it's not about how how much you can make them go sideways it's about really suppling the rib cage mm-hmm. um and every horse i use that in my warm-up i make sure that I can move them off my outside leg and then wrap them around my outside leg or vice versa. I can mm-hmm. turn down the quarter line, leg yield out, half pass in. But a lot of these kind of things where it's um, it, it's not the movement itself I'm looking for. I'm not looking for an amazing half pass. Yeah. I'm looking for soft and suppleness throughout their body, especially their rib cage, so that I'm able to control the shoulder. So they don't fly sideways away from me. I'm able to keep them in between seat and hand and they can stay you know, pretty parallel in their body and let me work, you know, the back, the neck, yeah. ribs, um, and lots of transitions. Yeah. Lots and lots of transitions. And just a couple more questions to wrap up here. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one I find a lot of riders think it's a difficult question, okay. but why do you think that you've been so successful as a rider? I think I just have wanted it so bad since mm-hmm. I was young. Again, I was not the most talented rider. Um, Lars will even tell you when I came to his barn, he said, can't use her. <laughs> um, but I just, I've wanted it so bad. And and I think I was very teachable. I, I, I took any advice from anybody. I didn't care who they were. I didn't care if it was some little girl in the barn who was like, your right shoulder looks terrible. Or if it was, you know, Lars who gave me countless pieces of advice. Um, and I really internalized it. You know, every time I had a bad ride, I'd go home and re-ride that ride in my head. And how could I have made this better? And how could I have, you know, what did I do wrong? Or how could I have helped the horse today? Um, and I think about that a lot still. You know, even I, when you don't have such a good ride, we're all... And it's inevitable that you have bad rides. Um, and I still... I. I it doesn't stop when I go home. When I go home, I still think about yeah. oh, how could I have done this better. Um, and I was really lucky to have a horse like Bosco to learn to teach with. Like yeah. he did not know the Grand Prix. I did not know the Grand Prix. Um, 
And so having someone like Lars, who wouldn't just get on and teach the horse the Grand Prix for me, he said, no, you can learn to do it and I will help you and teach you how you teach it, but you're going to learn to do this because the horse was tolerant enough to let me make mistakes. Um, and that was the most like priceless thing yeah. on that horse. He just, he's such a kind and sweet soul and allowed me to make mistakes and he never got frustrated with me. He's, he never said no. Um, so I think I owe a lot of my success <laughs> to that, to, to Bosco. What would you say is the hardest part of this sport for you? Oh, just, it's so emotional, yeah. you know, it's so hard, especially if you have a couple different horses going, it's so hard if you have a bad ride on your first one to get that out of your head and really ride the next one fairly the way that yeah. you know, that horse deserves to be ride ridden. Um, and you just never know you, you can have the best horse in the world. And then tomorrow it, <laughs> you know, it puts its leg in a fence. Yeah. Um, and they are animals. They're you know, it's not a basketball, but if you dribble it the same, it's going to bounce the same. Mm -hmm. um, they have their own minds, and sometimes they don't want to do it, and you ha you can't force them. You have to find a way to make them want to work for you. Yeah. Um, because I think it's pretty obvious when it's a force-ridden horse, and they're not happy, you know? Yeah. So it's... But they'll do anything for you if they yeah, want to. Yeah, they will. They're, they're amazing. <laughs> they're so generous. Oh, so forgiving. So generous. <laughs> so... Is there anything about you that people don't know that you could share? Um, I love to work out. I think it is so important to keep as a rider, you know, there's riding fitness. Nothing can make you better at riding other than riding. But I think it's great to also be, um, have some sort of exercise or physical activity that makes you more aware of your body. Mm. Um, so I did CrossFit for many years, loved it. I don't really do CrossFit anymore, but I do work out a mm -hmm. lot um, and do a variety of different things. And I think it's important. I think it's helped me. Um, you know, it's a, it's important to have a strong back and a strong core. Yeah. And while riding a lot of horses will develop that for you, if you already have it, you get the opportunity to ride some more horses. So yeah. um, that was that was definitely beneficial for me. Um, That's something that the you know the greats of the sport really stress mm -hmm. the importance of working out outside of the barn like Stefan yep. Peters um we spoke to him recently and he is absolutely into it mm -hmm. you know and really talked about the importance of it and how it reflects in your riding yes and I think it's really important as a rider to find something that's not riding that has mm. nothing to do with horses that can get your brain away totally from your job from your riding for an hour or two a day Having something that allows you to just escape for yeah. even a little bit, I think is really important. And that's what keeps, especially professionals, from getting burnt out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, just distract your mind. Not mm -hmm. even distract. I don't know if that's even the right word. But um, no, exactly. yeah, just put your yeah. mind on something mm -hmm. else. <laughs> because I feel like an, we can drive ourselves crazy sometimes. It's an all-consuming <laughs> yeah. sport, yeah. job, profession, whatever, yeah. you know. So last question, what's next for you on your, what's on your radar? I'm here to fight for a spot for the Pan Am Games. I was going to ask you about that. Okay. Um, so that is why we're here. And other than that, we're going to see how that goes. Mm -hmm. I don't have any future plans for Bosco 
past that. We, uh, you know, one step at a time. Okay. Uh, but I have some young ones. Lars and I have a three-year-old together. Awesome. Um, so he's pretty special. I think it's hard to, it's hard to tell, you know, you never know with a three-year-old. Um, but pretty excited about that one. Okay. And then I have a couple clients horses. I have a seven-year-old that I think we're going to do the developing pre-St. George next year. Um, and then, yeah, I just, I love my job. I love focusing on my clients and, um, my horses in training and I do a little bit of sales. So it's never a dull moment. Um, yeah, my main focus is, of course, Bosco, getting this three-year-old going, um, and then... And fingers crossed for the Pan Am games. <laughs> yes. Do you have Paris on your mind at all? It would be such a dream. Yeah. Um, but we're going to focus on the Pan Am games. Okay, gotcha. Well, my fingers are crossed for you. I mean, I think you have a really good shot at Thank it. Thank you. I mean, you're doing phenomenally here. It's been a joy to watch you, and Thank I really you. appreciate you taking the time again to talk yes, to me. Yes, of course. Thanks for listening to this special edition of the Dressage Today podcast, and a big thank you to the sponsor of this week's episode, Cosequin. Learn more at cosequinequine.com. If you've missed any episodes or want to subscribe, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to tune in. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Learn more and read in-depth training articles at dressagetoday.com. Or you can visit our subscription video site, Dressage Today On Demand, at ondemand.dressagetoday.com. Be sure to give Dressage Today a follow on Facebook and Instagram. Happy riding, and we'll see you at X. The Dressage Today podcast is a production of Horse Radio Network, an entity of Equine Network, LLC.